This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Cyril here with Insider Perks. Originally, we were going to have a guest host here, Joe Dumeg, but I managed to figure out how to scrap all this together. And I, it turns out I wasn't in a meeting when I thought I was in a meeting. I'm in here in Ottawa in a hotel. Excuse my unmade bed in the corner. But if I flip this a little bit this way, it looks all washed out on my face. So uh, we'll have this interesting background going on here. It's also balanced on top of a chair, so it's bound to fall and create some kind of a disaster during the show. But super excited to be here for our regular RV industry show. We've got a couple people, a lot of people missing. So we're missing Kara, our normal co-host. She's here in Ottawa with me, as are Eleanor from RVDA Canada and Phil from RVDA of the United States, because we're all here in Ottawa for a bunch of board meetings for CCRVC, for RVDA, for some lobbying efforts that the Canadian Camping and RV Council is doing on behalf of its members. And so they do that kind of once a year. It's the first time they've been doing it in person. And so everybody is off doing more important things, and I'm the less important one, so I can be here in my hotel room for you guys. But super excited to have Kurt here from National Parks Traveler, as well as our guest, Susan Carpenter, who's going to talk to us about the RV Women's Alliance, and Joe, who has so graciously stayed on here to provide some stimulating and amazing conversation to us, who is supposed to be building a deck right now. And I've pulled him away from that, and I feel really guilty about it. Definitely. Joe, if you want to leave, go ahead but please stay with us. We like you. <laughs> I can bless you with an hour, Brian. Thank you. I appreciate it. So what do we got going on, guys? What's, obviously, I just talked about you know, some of the lobbying efforts, and, and I'm not as part of RVDA, so I don't know exactly what, since this is an RV industry-focused show, what they're lobbying for, what their priorities are, and things like that. Obviously, they want to continue moving the industry forward and, and work on some legislation and things like that up here with the Canadian government. But what's on your mind, Kurt, and things like that? Susan, will, I want to give you some time, but I just want to See if there's anything no, go right ahead. in the minds of outdoor rec. I know, Kurt, not the RV industry, but outdoor recreation. What's come across your desk for national parks here? I was going to say uh, RV industry. We mentioned in, in previous shows that there is a, a move on in the, the national park system to upgrade um, some of the campgrounds and provide more amenities. Yeah. And, um, nothing's really changed on that front since we last talked. One thing that I, I was just in Everglades two weeks ago and a great time to go. We, we drove through the campground. There's nobody there. You can have any site you want. There's plenty of room for RVs of all sizes. And when I was there two weeks ago, the, the weather was perfect. So I, I couldn't recommend it more. Is that a, is that, I don't mean to interrupt you, but is that a time of year thing? Because, and the reason I'm asking is because we hear all these stories about how parks, both public and private are overcrowded and you can't get in and everywhere else. Is that a, just a time of year thing for Florida? Because there's a season transition going on now or? They, they heard the team from National Parks Traveler was coming out. So they cleared everybody out. So we would have full access. VIP treatment. That makes sense. Absolutely. Makes sense. Absolutely. Don't. One day my, I aspire to get to your level one day, Kurt. I don't think I ever will. That's my goal is to have them clear out Everglades so I can see the alligators up close. You know, um, we, we timed it just right. Um, not intentionally just worked out that way. It was right after <clears> spring break and apparently the week before it was really jam packed, but no, it worked out great. It, it was the end of the, towards the end of the, the rainy season, the wet season, and, or, or actually towards the end of the dry season and the weather was just great. The wildlife was out there and we had a great time. A lot of the, the work we did though, was, uh, based on invasive species, um, Burmese pythons, tegus, base of uh, vegetation, that kind of thing. And so um, not sure your audience is really geared up for that, but tune into nationalparkstraveler.org and you can read all about it in, in the weeks ahead. But one thing that I'm working on that I think is going to be very um, interesting is what this summer is going to look like in terms of fires in the West and smoke conditions in the West. Last year was really bad. Here it is, not even the end of April. We've got uh, some wildfires burning in New Mexico that are threatening units of the park system. We got fires in Arizona that totally swept across one unit of the national park system. It's not a good sign. Just heard the uh, snowmelt runoff for the Colorado Basin is 50%, 50%. 
of normal what they yeah, they didn't get snow up there this year they almost uh, we didn't get snow this year we didn't get snow last year it's a 22 year drought the longest drought in 1200 years now i, I want to explore this with you for a second i do want to to get to susan for a second but let's finish up the wildfire conversation specifically and then maybe we can dive back into how it's going to impact private and public parks but just a real quick question with timing when you say it's bad this year we've heard year over year, right? As long as the California wildfires have been going on, and, and which is a long time, and BC had really bad wildfires last year in British Columbia, dry spell happening earlier this year, or just is it just still bad again and at the same time? It's really interesting because the past few years we've had so many fires, you, you have to wonder what's left to burn, but apparently there's quite a lot. To your question specifically, it is coming earlier. A good friend of mine is a fire safety officer for the U.S. Forest Service. And he told me a couple months ago that they expected the, the fire season to start earlier than normal. And he expected to be called out on some fires in May, if not sooner than that. And certainly with the activity we've seen so far, the snowpack in California has been really low, um, almost non-existent. And so I, I really worry about another fiery, smoky um, season in the park system across the West. Yeah, it's definitely, I think I want to talk about that in a little bit, because that's a, a good co topic for us to dive into. Is there anything else on the top of your mind that we can cover later? Or? Um, our RV guide is coming out in a few weeks. I heard you talk about that in the show. Do you want to briefly touch on that again? If you're an RV enthusiast and you want to go to the national park system, there is no central clearinghouse you can go to, to basically look at all the parks that have campgrounds that'll suit RV um, enthusiasts, whether you're pulling a trailer or have a, a cap on your rig, you have to go to each and every single park website that you want to visit, every park you want to visit and drill down into that website to see what campgrounds there are, what amenities, how big of a, a rig can they accommodate, that sort of thing. And so at National Parks Traveler, we are putting together um, the definitive guide as to in one place, search the national park system to find out where there are campgrounds that can handle RVs and what amenities you're finding there. And we're really pretty excited about it. Let me ask you this, Kurt. I'm sorry to keep putting you off, Susan. And, and Susan could get really? her camera working for us here. Yeah, I'm being cognito. It's really, it should be reversed. Everybody would much prefer to see you and not see me. Uh, so I wish I could trade places with you. But unfortunately, you guys are stuck with me. At least Joe's here to balance me out. But yeah, this is interesting to me with a, with a guide to national parks, which obviously is needed, as you just described. There's no question about that. Is there an opportunity here to, and because most of our audience, right, is private campground owners, is there an opportunity to bridge that gap in any way to where somebody would look on your trip planner and find an RV site and maybe they want to go to a national park or a state park that's full or doesn't have the upgraded capability to host their big rig. Is there an opportunity there for private parks to have some visibility? In, in our guide or in general? Both. Um, sure. Yeah, in our guide, absolutely. We can place, for instance, I know there's uh, KOAs around a lot of national parks. And if you're a KOA operator outside of uh, Glacier National Park, I, I know there's one on the east side. We'll be happy to offer you a placement next to the uh, Glacier National Park. Okay. Because yeah. you're absolutely right. National Park campgrounds cannot fit everybody, both from just the pure numbers, as well as the size of the facility that they can accommodate, the size of an RV that they can accommodate. And and sure, the, the private campgrounds outside national parks often offer a lot more amenities. Now, how would a campground get in touch with you to be included in that guide? You can reach me at Kurt, K-U-R-T at nationalparkstraveler.org. And would that be a list? Would that be an advertisement placement? Would that, how would that work from your side? I don't know if you thought about it yet. So you see, of you course we thought about it. Yeah, we can offer everything from just a, a listing in a directory in the back of the, the guide to a facing page across from the park that you want to be in to even just a, a small, I think one sixth, sixth of a page ad placement right next to the park description and, and the park campground amenities. Now so yeah, even gateway communities can be in, inside this guide to say, hey, you want to go to this park and don't overlook us for the amenities we have outside the park that you can really round out your vacation. And I think this is a huge benefit to private parks. And obviously we're not trying to, the plan was not to start the show and have you on here and try to sell something that you're offering, but this is really valuable because you have, you want to briefly tell them about your audience? 
that you have at National Parks Traveler, there's a lot of people who are looking at your site. There are. On an annual basis, we have roughly 3 million readers and listeners. We do a weekly podcast that we're going to see roughly 20,000 downloads of our podcast just this month alone. It's uh, ranked in the top 2% of the world's podcasts. But yeah, I didn't intend for this to be an infomercial on National Parks Traveler, but it, it really is addressing a need that I think is out there because yeah, I've got a brother-in-law in Florida who he's just retiring. He's going to hit the road with his wife and they've got a, a fifth wheel they're going to be pulling around. And they don't want to have to, which site, which parks do we have to find that website or drive up, get there and realize that their fifth wheel won't fit. And so we think this is a great service product that um, will help um, RV owners. And yeah, um, you can see we've got a comment here from Janice. This is so hard to get reservation this year. She's turning 10 to 12 people away a day in Western Washington. Jenna, I'm assuming you run a, a private park because you asked later, how do we reach out to partner, which we've already answered. She asked if you could repeat your email, Kurt, in, in another comment. Sure. Maybe you can type it in there, Brian. It's Kurt, K-U-R-T, at nationalparkstraveler.org. It's actually a really good idea. Every now and then. I know. <laughs> like, uh, you would think that the host would actually know how to do that. So there, we just sent it, went to YouTube and Facebook. .org. And, um, .org. Oh, I messed it up? Yeah. We're a nonprofit. Oh, boy. I don't anyway. know if I can... Anyway, it's .org. We'll put it, we'll put it in there before I forget. But yeah, and again, we didn't, Kurt is a regular guest of us on the show. And for those of you who have tuned into this RV industry show before, that one of our goals behind it is to bridge the gap in the outdoor hospitality industry between RV, the RV industry, between outdoor rack, between national parks and private parks, because there's sometimes, from what I've seen in some of these groups, there's some animosity towards state parks and and national parks and provincial parks. And, and some of it is well-deserved, to be clear. We're not suggesting that we come down on either side of this. But I feel like there are benefits to people who go to both places, who are your customers in some cases. And again, like Kurt's talking about overflow from these places filling up. And so there's a lot of benefit to be had from having these discussions and blending these industries together. And so it's, I think it's really cool that you're creating this guide. And I think it's going to benefit a lot of private parks. I would hope so. And to your point about the great state parks and provincial parks next to the national parks, there are some incredible wonders out there. And there are some state parks in, in Utah I know that would benefit uh, or would justify being national parks, although I don't think the state's going to give them up. But there is such a crush, as Jenna mentioned, there is such a crush to get into national parks. Part of it's COVID. Everybody wants to get to the outdoors and whatnot. But there's a lot of overlooked gems out there across the park system and neighboring state parks and provincial parks. Awesome. All right, let's move on to, I want to come back to wildfires and maybe we'll talk a little bit more about your guide a little bit and, and some of Joe's thoughts on it, maybe from some of his clients' perspectives. And Joe, I want to give your, your input on the wildfires and if you have some clients over there who were impacted from that last year too. But Susan, tell us about the, and, and again, we wish we could have you on camera, but tell us about the RV Women's Alliance. What is this organization? What does it do? What is its mission? When was it founded? Give us the whole, the yeah, elevator yeah, but it's yeah. a long elevator ride. We have an hour. <laughs> oh, good. I can fill that up. And Kurt, I got it. I love what you're doing just to, to fill in on there. I think um, you're filling a need. I'm a huge national park fan, but I think when it comes to RVing and camping, I've been in an RV and back to tents, go figure. Um, everybody's camping experience is different. And people are looking for different amenities. So I think everybody can share in that piece of pie very easily. Just depends on what you're looking for. So anyway, that's my two cents. Not that you asked for it. But so the RV Women's Alliance was uh, founded about in 2018, the idea was born. Of course, the RV industry, if anybody kind of works or plays in it a, a bit, it's very male dominated. A couple of people came to me and said, hey, I think we need to start this. And I was, I don't know. And yeah, soon enough, three years later, I'm still leading it. But so we launched in March of 2019 and then March of 2020, COVID hit. So we only had about a good year under our belt of just trying to launch this nonprofit. And it, it was quite the struggle to go through COVID, but we actually found some inner growth within those two years that we had to go quiet because what we like to do is network is one of our biggest things. And we couldn't do that anymore. So we went to Zoom and all the, you know, online things. And we actually, one of our biggest projects during 2021, 2020 to 2021 was a project called Drab to Fab, where we took an old 2004 Crossroads Zinger and we tore it down to its studs. And this was all female led. 
And so we tore everything out of it and we totally rebuilt it. And it was all done by women and it was quite the project. And my favorite thing about it was, is meeting all these different women from all different um, areas of the industry. And because it was COVID, we did it in very small groups. We wore the masks and stuff like that, but go right ahead. Can I show um, it? it is or I don't know it? if the draft of Fab is still open or not. Let me see. We might have. Let me see, www.drab2fab.org would be it. It may still be up. Mm, oops. Helps it, if I spell it right. Um, Drab to Fab, does it have a D and an F logo? Yeah, it does. All right. Yeah. Okay. I'm awesome. talking. I just want to okay. get a visual since we can't see you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, stupid Mac. Anyway. <laughs> So we had a lot of fun swinging hammers and a lot of people from the industry, because we work in the industry, didn't know anything about RVs. So it was really an eye-opening experience for a lot of different people, but we were able to network up. Yep, there we are, tearing it all down in fast speed, swinging the hammers and having a little bit of fun there. Um, and then we totally rebuilt it and then we auctioned it off for RBWA and that was that. But it was a lot of fun. If anybody, it's a big thing out there for people to take their, you know, older RVs and kind of renovate them now. And uh, so we know firsthand how to do that. And I don't know if I, they want to do it again, but I don't know if I'd leave that one. It, it was like a whole year of my life wrapped up into that project, but it was a lot of fun. But like I said, we're very industry focused. Our vision is making the RV industry a place where women thrive. Our mission is to elevate, educate, and promote women in the RV industry. And when I, the RV industry, what I mean is campgrounds and OEMs and suppliers and anybody has anything to do with the the RV industry, which is huge. Kurt, you could be a member as well. Both of you, all three of you guys could be a member because we, please, we welcome men as well because we feel like it takes two sides to actually bring it together and move that needle faster. So we've done a lot of research. We were at the RV industry was 24% women. When we first started that, we have had 16% growth within the last two years, which is fantastic. Anybody who, oh, see, now that's a picture of me on the right hand side there. See? Here we go. Okay. <laughs> there, I, there I am. We love anything that has to do with RVing or camping. And it, it's just been a labor of love. We're into the, our third year now. And we have a lot of fun things going on. We, we're doing a Habitat for Humanity, which we're trying to do nationwide on the same day. We don't have we don't have the announcement of the date yet. One of the really cool things your members may be really interested in is we're doing a pilot program in August with the RV Technical Institute. I don't know if who's familiar with that, but that is a training facility right here in Elkhart that trains people to be service techs and they have different levels. So in August, we're doing a week long class of just women because it's a little intimidating, got to admit. When you decide you want to be a tech and you're the only woman sitting in that class. So we decided to break down that barrier and do an all women class and it's going to be free. The education is going to be free. The hotel lodgings are going to be free. All you have to do is get there. We'll be announcing the application process to do it. As you guys were saying, getting out in these campgrounds are great. Some of them are a little bit more remote. Something breaks down, you know, who's your best friend? It's going to be an RV tech. And if the dealerships are too backlogged, then there's those mobile techs. There's a lot of opportunity for men and women, but we're obviously rooting for the women to become these techs. There's no reason why they can't be those techs. We're very focused and detailed oriented. We're hoping to welcome those people into that. that what are some of the ways with just take the technicians, for example. What are some of the ways that you as an organization are reaching out to women to encourage them to, because it's hard, right? Like I've heard in general, it's hard to find RV techs. What are some of the ways that your organization reaches out to both women who have the potential to become techs and, and how do they get that training? How do they, how do you encourage them to join the industry? And maybe not even for techs, but just in general. The first thing I would say is to join our organization. So all you have to do is go, you are on the site, www.rvwa.org. And membership, and the nice thing about that is membership is free. There is no cost to it because of our partners that, you know, partner with us and give us the money to run this organization. We, we firmly believe that this should be a free organization for people to, to come. And then through that, we have our newsletters. 
and um, our press releases and all that kind of stuff out there that keeps you informed of all these programs that are going to start running out. And like I said, the August one, that's just going to be a pilot. It's going to be 12 women that we're going to select from by application. But after that, I, I, we all believe it's going to grow exponentially because we already have interest and we haven't even launched it yet. So I, I guess I have a two-part question here, right? Because yes. one, and it just maybe a follow-up, because there are obviously women who are already in the RV industry or um, mm -hmm. industry, and they're very important. Their stories need highlighted. And, and maybe you and I can work together on a modern campground, regular feature where we talk about some of these women and their stories and how they have succeeded in the industry uh, and highlight Absolutely. to do that for, for you guys. Uh, that's something you're interested in. But there are obviously women who are interested in RVing because they've gone camping or they've been raised that way. And so they're going to find your website and they're going to be interested in the industry. Is there a program from your organization or something else that exists that does outreach to say, hey, look at this industry you might not have heard of. This is why you want to be a part of it. As and the consumer side of things of actually camping, going out and camping, we don't do a lot with the consumer. We partner with, I'm sure, Janine from Girl Camper. I don't yes. know if you've ever heard of her. Yes. Yep. So Janine is fantastic. She's got this organization called Girl Camper where she works with women who just want to go camping by themselves or with a group of women and empowers them to be able to do that because I got to admit, I've owned a 40-foot a fifth wheel and it's, it's intimidating. <laughs> so I wasn't the one who backed it up, I'll admit it. But so that's how we reach the consumers on that side. But what we want the consumers to understand as well is if you like the industry as a whole, working here is a lot of fun too. Right. Yeah. That's what I mean. We love to find people that are out there, even retired people or people that want to work from the road. There is so much opportunity right now in this industry because since COVID, historically, because we're extra income, our industry is usually one of the first ones to get hit with anything bad going on in the world or the country. Particular pandemic, we ended up on the right side of things. So it's just been gangbusters. We've broken every record known to man out there of the sales of these RVs and people out camping. Thus, the reason why you're Jenna saying that she's turning people away because there's more campers than there are campsites out there right now. But with that growth comes, we all talk about the shortage of labor. In general, there's shortage of labor, but in the RV industry, it's, it's painstaking because there's just so many jobs, just not enough people. But the people that do come here, and, and one of the reasons why RVWA exists too is we want women who get dropped in the middle of this industry to, to know there's a place to belong. Like I said, it is very male-dominated. Jenna, it, it said, yeah, and sometimes that can be intimidating as well. And, and we just want people to know that, hey, it's not so bad. It's really a great place to be. I've been in over 35 years. I looked at other jobs when I sold my company, but went right back to the RV industry because as, as big as it is, it's really a small industry where it's more like family. Yeah, everybody knows everybody. So I have a so let's say everything lines up perfectly for the RV Women's Alliance for the next five years. Absolutely everything that you want to do is done and maybe in some cases exceeded. Where do you see RV Women's Alliance and the place in the industry that it has in five years? You know what? It's so funny because back in January, we just went through a strategic planning. So we looked out five years. So in five years, we want RVWA to stand for a place where women go for member connections, member education, and member recognition. Those are the three things that we want to be really be known for because <clears throat> when we pulled our members, which happens to be 1,300, over 1,300 members for over 500 companies they represent, the two top things they wanted was they wanted to connect and they wanted education. Those are the two top things. So right now, that's that's what we're doing. We have this amazing symposium going on this October. It's going to be our very first. In, yeah, it is going on in Chicago. So it's easy to get to. And it's actually their top sponsor is, is our top sponsor is Camp World. And Purdue University is going to be our education. And it's all going to be about effective coaching, communicating, and listening. And then, of course, IDEA, which is inclusion diversity, equity, and access. Those are two things. And it, it's really geared to current leaders and emerging leaders within this industry and giving them the tools to, um, no, learn more and do more within their job. And yeah, and I, oh, I was trying to read, Jenna. Okay. 
Oh, Janice's comment? Yeah. And we'll get to that in a second. But from our, you touched on this briefly, right? How it's called the RV Women's Alliance, but it's inclusive. It's greater than just RVs and RV industries. You're welcoming campground owners. You're welcoming outdoor recreation people. And basically yep. anybody who has anything to do with outdoor hospitality. So two-part question, I guess. One is how can, because our audience is mostly comprised of private campground owners, and, and certainly a lot mm -hmm. of them are women, how can they reach out to you? How can they become a member? What is the benefit to them? from a campground owner perspective, and obviously the networking and the, all those things, but are there programs that are geared specifically toward campground owners versus just the RV industry? So I guess two parts, how do they join? Yeah. What are the benefits? To so there again, just go to rvwa.org and there's a button there that you can click and you just sign up and bada bing, bada boom, you're done. Like I said, it's absolutely free. And what they can expect, and this is the fun part about it, is you're absolutely right. Do we have something geared just towards campgrounds? No, but we are working right now. We have a um, task force working on a program that is all about advocates. And when I say advocates for RVWA, what I mean is we want advocates not only within individual companies, but we want advocates within certain aspects of the industry. So yeah, we want to bring all the campgrounds together and have that little conversation, but we also want to further the, the mindset of it's more than just the campground. So take Jen, we're going to take Jenna because she's speaking a lot and she owns a, a private campground. You connect her with, let's say myself, I work for a supplier who supplies products to the aftermarket and to the OEMs. It's a plastic product. So RVWA is my, my second job. And then you hook her up with, let's say somebody from a dealership or somebody at the OEM level and we're all in one room and we're talking and it's amazing the things that you can learn from each other that further your knowledge of the industry. That was a neat thing about Drive to Fab is I met people I would have never met before, especially in the OEM space. And the great thing about it is I really didn't know a lot about that part of the industry. Well, I do now. I don't know everything, but I know a lot more than I ever did. And so it really broadens the um, education and the focus of what this industry really is. And, and that's one of the things our industry misses. We, we're so segmented. Even our associations, yeah, are, are segmented. You talk about Eleanor from RVDA. She's great. She sat on her board for quite a while, actually, too. So She's here in Ottawa, yeah. I know. You tell her I said hi, because I love her. But their RVIA concentrates on basically the OEMs, RVDA concentrates on the dealers and all the issues, you know what? We can concentrate on the whole industry. And that was the reason why we separated ourselves from any other association out there is because there is no barriers for us. There are no boundaries. We can intermingle amongst everybody in this industry. And that just opens up so many interesting doors and learning so much more about what people do. I don't know a lot about private campgrounds. I to tell you the truth too. I always thought that was my dream job is to own one, <laughs> but I don't know if they, that's probably not going to happen now, but just because I love camping and I thought it would be a fun experience, but it's just, it's a really interesting way of just breaking down the barriers between each segment of the industry and coming together as one for the better purpose. Joe, I have a question for you and I just want to get you involved here. I'm so sorry we haven't had a chance to, to involve you much so far. And I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, but from a you and I perspective, right? We're both suppliers in the industry. I obviously have modern campground. I've talked to Susan about that briefly, but we deal with a lot of campground owners. We deal with a lot of team members and marketing staff and people who want apps for, created for their campgrounds. How do you see is, is there a way that we can work together and other people like us can work together, not with each other, but to push people towards this women's alliance? Is there value in it? Is there ways that we can communicate that with all the people that we talk to on a daily basis that would bring them value? Well, I'm sure there's uh, many ways that we can do something to, to benefit it. Honestly, I think looking at our customer base, I probably deal with a lot more female GMs and owners than I, like percentage wise. Probably a lot more than I would expect. Most of our contacts are that we work with. Now, again, we get closer to that marketing, more creative space, just like you, Brian. And that might be the reason why. I don't know. It can just be maybe that's people that are looking for what we provide. But I definitely, we have uh, many customers that we can help point that direction because I think it is, it is very useful. I definitely understand how it can be very intimidating in the industry with things are done this way because they've always been done this way. We see that in many other spaces. You look at 
reservations and, and everything, a lot of things are still, and they're changing pretty rapidly, but a lot of things are still spam in this industry. And so I think this is just another one of those places that this industry is looking to catch up with. Yeah. It almost, it's almost, it's that easy, but it's, it's like the roadmaps already there. Other industries that are way ahead of where we're at right now. And Jenna had said her story is perfect example. She's a female GM. And she said it can be very hard sometimes. Most people she meets in her job are 40-year-old men versus her starting in position as GM at 24 years old. And it is. It's extremely um, intimidating. And you have to work twice as hard just to get people to understand that you could do just as good of a job. But what would be neat is you take somebody like herself and you put her with other GMs and other people and she'll have that sounding board or the people that have gone through it before. We're starting a mentorship program. We just started the pilot of that one today, actually, when we're starting to put people with other people as mentor-mentee for six months just to give them an opportunity to ask the question and and have that mentor in this industry. Kurt, is there any tie over here into outdoor recreation that you can think of off the top of your head? I know I'm putting you on the spot too, but I mean, because outdoor outdoor recreation is outdoor hospitality, right? I think. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there are women owned, women led outfitting services out there in this spectrum. Of course, you've got the old broads for wilderness, I think is that, uh, women-led organization for environmental advocacy. So yeah, there, there's lots of crossover. It's funny because the campground industry tends to have more women in it than the other side of the industry. In the Not sure. I don't, yeah, in the RV industry, like in the manufacturing and stuff like that, the campgrounds tend to have more women. I don't know if anybody knows why, just it's a known fact. It's strange. I love it. Is there a way that you guys, all three of you can imagine, and I'm sorry, I said you guys, but you understand what I mean? I, I'm not uh, sure. You guys, you understand. Just... but is there a way that we can help connect and facilitate these people together to, and I don't know whether the RV Women's Alliance is necessarily the answer that encompasses outdoor recreation, because as Kurt mentioned, there's already groups that exist here, but is there value in attempting to, Kurt, from your perspective, uh, connecting that group with Susan's group and, and linking all these people together so that they can maybe not necessarily all join the RU Women's Alliance, but follow a path of getting together and, and being a part of the same type of 5, 10, 20 different groups that all focus on empowering women. You know, I think it, it's not just women, okay? There's a lot of lack of diversity out there, whether it's people of color or women or what, what, what have you. And there is, I think a great opportunity that we need those different viewpoints and there's different perspectives and there are different ways of doing things. The outdoor retailer show, I think is a great place to, to catch up and brainstorm those kinds of things. And they've got workshops. I haven't seen the summer's list of workshops, but certainly I think there's an avenue there to work towards bringing these different groups together and, and excuse me, I'm not putting women deaf. I love them. But I, I think it's just one of the, the groups that needs to be elevated in this industry. I 100% agree with you. And, and I think we're just trying to have these conversations one-on-one on, one on one so we can deep dive into them. Just like I think a, a couple of months ago, we had Earl Hunter on and a couple other people talking about Black Folks yep. Team 2 and the mission there and how different people who have different lifestyle preferences are treated within the industry. And I definitely agree with you. I just, I, I think our goal here would, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, easiness in the industry, or I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, but it's very easy to gloss over and put this whole bucket of diversity in. And obviously I have no right to speak to it whatsoever, but diversity, both from a, a women perspective and a gender perspective and in a black, white and all the, all those kinds of things. And so I, I think that glossing it over again in a show that just focuses on all of it together is helpful, but not the ultimate answer and doing a deep dive with Susan and a deep dive with Earl and a deep dive with whoever else wants to talk about it is probably yeah. a better way to go. Collaboration. Collaboration's huge. Don't go it alone. And, and, and our organizations, just like the rest of them out there, the more people we can talk with and get involved with, the better off we're all going to be. What are you connected some... with Campgrounds of America, Susan? Yeah, I know Toby and Whitney. Yes, I've worked with them before. 
In fact, Toby, when we first started doing this, Toby was a part of just the starting part of putting this together. But then she got really super busy, go figure, and had to drop out. But yeah, she's fantastic. I do want to pivot for a second, Kurt, and I don't want to completely ignore your suggestion because I think you've got some great ideas. Are there other groups that you're aware of or other demographics that we that you feel we can highlight on the show? organizations that you've heard of with an outdoor rec or anybody that can speak to this stuff, because I, I need to know, I need to be introduced to them and I'd like to highlight them too. Yeah. Let me get back to you on that, Brian. Okay. Yeah. I didn't mean to put you on the spot, but you brought it up. So I think it's a great opportunity if you have anybody in your head. It's an important, it's an important thing. One, one, we're always looking for, for underwriters to help us accomplish the goal of educating the public on all the wonders and all the issues around the national park system. And one thing we tried, and unfortunately it didn't catch on, we made a pitch to North Face for a grant proposal to get Native American youth who are clustered around national parks, whether it's at the Cherokee around Great Smoky Mountains National Park or wherever, to get their perspectives through a series of reporting or a series of essays. I think that's one, one voice. You're certainly seeing more of it, hearing more about it with Deb Howland, Interior Secretary of the Interior Department, being Native American. And so you're seeing a, a lot more news about Native Americans and, and their ties to the land and whatnot. Certainly that's one demographic out there that has a good voice. And certainly, of course, Chuck Sams, the director of the National Park Service, is Native American as well. But I think you can pivot to there and you can pivot in almost any direction and, and find groups that, that have voices worth listening to. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. We need to do... I think we could do a better job of that at Modern Campground on the show. And so I just want to make sure that we're paying attention to it because sometimes I forget, right? Sometimes I miss things. What's new in never your happens. world? Let's, never happens to you, Kurt? Never happens to me. <laughs> I'm just going to turn over the keys to you then. You can host this every week because you don't look, you don't sound like you're busy. You don't sound like you're doing anything else. You got, you can be on here. I can pitch our next webinar. We started webinars last month and the one we got lined up for May is going to be really interesting because we've got Jonathan Jarvis, uh, the former director of the National Park Service under uh, President Obama, along with his brother Destry Jarvis, who worked on the other side, working for advocacy groups and worked inside the Interior Department, the Clinton administration. But they're going to talk about the need to break out the National Park Service from Interior to create a standalone organization, standalone agency, because politics are just trampling the National Park Service. So from a political standpoint, what is the benefit to breaking it apart? You get away from the politics with um, the interior secretary is a political appointee. The, the Park Service director is a political appointee. And so you, you've got every four years, it's possible that uh, the political tenor could change. You we, mean then... Seen... Do you, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to clarify. Do you mean like almost privatizing it, like the mail service or? I stand alone like the Smithsonian Institution. Okay. Right. You have a board of directors that oversees it and the, and the board would pluck the director of the National Park Service and it would be outside of that beltway political shenanigans that go on in Washington. We see this from time to time going from the Obama administration to the Trump administration to the Biden administration, even from the George W. Bush administration a little bit to the, the Obama administration. Every four years, you run the risk of, of having a, a change in the political thinking and, and where you're going to go. And, and that's really disruptive to how the National Park Service should operate. Well, yeah, I can certainly see the benefits of that. I think that every four years thing impacts the entire campground industry and the RV industry and all of us as well, both from a federal and state level to a city. Every time there's a new person in office, there's a new explanation to do and talk about what the RV industry is and what the campground industry is and why I'm important from a campground owner and why I bring taxes to the table and all those kinds of things. And I, and I think that this is probably, sounds like an, an easier, low-hanging fruit to accomplish. Obviously, we're not going to ever get rid of that turnover that I just talked about and elaborated in briefly, but there are small things that we can do that can make large impacts. And this sounds like, I don't see a negative to it. I don't know enough about it to make an informed opinion, but certainly you do. Yeah, I think it's a, a logical move. I just don't think it's going to be that easily accomplished because of Congress and politicians. Do they get anything done these days? I'm not sure. <laughs> I was keeping my mouth shut on that one. Should we say that live on a show? <laughs> yeah, I've said it frequently. I had a, an editorial during National Parks Week last week saying things are not all rosy across the park system. And, and a big reason is because of politics. Congress folk like to have a national park in their district. They don't like to fund them. Yeah. Good PR. And the, and the people like it. And the people like to visit it and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's um, great for the economy. That, yeah. That's another fallacy. But anyway. <laughs> Joe, chime in here. You're supposed to be the host. 
What would you have done if I wasn't you're, here? Well, you're doing such a great job. No, I'm not. I never do a good job. That's why Kurt's here to carry me and Susan's leading the charge. No, if you weren't here, then you would have just gotten me the B team. No, what's, what's on your mind? You've heard a lot of topics here. We talked about wildfires in the beginning. What's uh? Well, wildfires, you said you wanted my take on, on our customers. We haven't got yes. any of our customers um, speaking about this, but in that area, all of our customers are, their season's over. So they're not, they don't have uh, guests there currently, or at least a lot of them don't. But I was just in Arizona last week for the Arizona ARVC companies, and I actually flew over a wildfire in New Mexico, which is weird to see. That I didn't know I was going to be, and I just looked out the window, a weird time, and it was in the middle of the, or it was late at night, and I saw it, and I thought that was really odd looking, and I had to look up and figure out where it was and what it was, and it has grown tremendously. And I know that there were like four or five vendors that had a four-hour, four-hour delay in getting there because the wildfires in Flagstaff, the interstate was closed. So it's obviously disrupting a lot of travel. Hopefully, at least for the industry, this is such a small thing. When you're talking about a forest fire or a wildfire, it's a small thing to worry about that the campers have got, gotten home already. Such a hard deal and putting them around in, in small roads instead of the big interstates. But hopefully since the seasons died down, it doesn't impact so I think it depends on where they are, right? Obviously, I think you're right in Arizona to a certain extent in a lot of those parks. Right. And, and it's a seasonal thing. The long-term people and the people who stay in Arizona have headed up north and have dispersed throughout the country. I think there's a big chunk of California that's impacted. I also think it depends on the size of the wildfire, where the smoke goes and blows. And again, we were getting smoke in, in Calgary from BC and from California, <clears throat> whichever the wind blows. And it impacts the air quality and, and all those kinds of things. But what fascinates me, and we've talked about and I want to get your take on this from a national park perspective too, Kurt, is that we have covered wildfires on the show before. We'd have Josh on, who's actually here. The leader of the BC Association is here in Ottawa too, but he's been on the show before to talk about the BC wildfires last year. But I'm interested in this whole, there's a shift here, and we've talked about this on the show too, with consumers and inflation and not just gas prices, but the, the heavier out of cost that's coming out of their pockets to do some of this traveling, and it's impacting their behaviors in ways that I don't really want to dive into right now, but it's impacting their behaviors where we all know that the campground industry is very resilient and, and they will still continue to travel and camp. They may just do it more local. But if that behavior is being impacted to where they're staying more local because of gas prices or food prices or whatever, if then a wildfire were to break out again in California or BC or as it's currently burning in New Mexico, because they're not willing to take those longer trips, does that then have the potential to completely stop their camping, whereas it didn't before in years past? And I know this is speculation, but I'm just asking the question. And same thing to Kurt for national parks. Do they stop going? Does it impact their planning? It, obviously, it impacts their planning in advance or near term. But does it also impact their planning in advance? Do they just choose another park? Do they? What are the feelings out there? I know that's a really loaded question. I think they just choose another park. But are, but is, but let's, but does that impact, I think in years past, the answer is easily that, but with inflation and the higher cost to drive and the higher food costs and all those kinds of things and the way the economy is headed, if they were going to stay local and they don't have the budget to choose another park, and maybe there's one that's next door, but maybe they have to go to the next state over or go 200, 400, 500 miles away to find another preference to something they see. Does that stop that behavior? Do they just skip it for this year? I don't, I don't, I don't think so. And as Jenna pointed out, people are reserving things far in advance and there's less and less inventory available. And I think just looking at what we've seen with COVID the past two years, <clears throat> that didn't slow people down. That didn't change their behaviors that much. I would agree with that. Let me give some clarity as to what we're, the reason I'm asking the question too, is because we work with 350 different campgrounds for plus for marketing. And, and so we've seen some of this behavior change where we had advanced reservations, and not everywhere, and, and maybe you've seen some of this too, Joe, I don't know. We've seen not a slowdown in reservations, but it, or at least we hope, we don't think that, but a changing in the behavior of lead times of reservations to parks that were last year, previously in March and April, completely full for the summer, now are in certain areas of the country not worried because I still think they're going to fill up because there's a huge demand for the industry, but I think there's a hesitancy toward, I don't know how gas prices or inflation is going to go. I don't know how maybe wildfires are going to go. I don't know. 
And so I think that behavior and that lead time is changing. And so the marketing and all this is going to impact itself as well. But we are seeing that as a pattern in certain areas of the country. So I haven't seen it with my customers. And then in terms of the RV groups and stuff that I'm in, because we travel as well, we haven't, we've seen most people say that it was not impacting their traveling. Some more, less people are going to stop that are just going to move a little bit closer to home. Even so, then you have certain campgrounds that are going to be fully booked. And so if they're still planning on camping, they got to move somewhere. And so we only have so much inventory of, of spots. So. I think we were, everyone was packed in last summer. And if the same amount of people are camping or more this summer, it's just going to change which parks their individual is in more so than which parks are at your site. And I guess I, I think I'm just struggling to articulate what's going on in my head. And that's my fault because there's so many different factors involved here. I guess I'm saying like, if you're a camp, let's pick Arizona. Let's see if I'm a, a, a person who goes camping four or five times a year and I live in Phoenix and because of inflation and other costs, my radius to go camping instead of being a thousand miles, now my radius to go camping is 500 or 300 and anywhere within that circle, I'm going to go stay. But now I've got a wildfire that pops up next to me that's blowing, that's a massive wildfire like we had in California or BC that's impacting smoke all around those 300 miles. There's no other options they can go to. Do they then increase their budget and spend more to go camping or do they stay home? And I know that's speculation, but that's what I'm going after. Is this something that the industry should be concerned about specifically and narrowly as it relates to wildfires? If you gave me that question in advance, I could probably answer it better because Campgrounds of America just came out with their North American camping Camping report. report. Yeah. And I haven't had time to look at it. Neither have I yet. I'd be interested though. That would be fascinating to see if they did anything on wildfires and I know they do their monthly reports now. We'll have to reach out to to KOA and see if they have any data on that. But yeah, I just try to to think of things in advance and make sure owners are prepared. Again, it's a very regional, specific, small issue that's not going to impact 95% of people. But if that behavior is stacked on top of changing behavior that they're camping local versus going across the country, which we've seen in certain instances already, I just want to make sure park owners are prepared for it if they can be. So... All right. I think right. there's such a large audience out there, Brian, that there's plenty of people to backfill. If you okay. understand, if I'm not going to drive 500 miles to, to go to Yellowstone or wherever, the locals will be happy because then they'll go. I, I know a lot, of, a lot of local communities around national parks are, are, are frustrated by the crowds that have come out there. Okay. Makes sense to me. All right. And then, uh, I was good at my point. Uh, is that, yeah, you'll just have the local people move in and, and great. So we used yeah, to get the comments in here. She's got a lot of things. Go ahead. Put one up. You're in, you're the host, Joe. Yeah. I'm not, I don't know the system very well. So I'll let you just her over her thing and hit show. Which one do you want to show? Which one do you want to talk about? we got about five minutes left Maybe for people. We... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just reading her comments. Go ahead. There you go. So. She talks about offering special cancellation policies for people that are canceling because of big gas prices. So actually, let me show the mean of it here. So if they lose, they're losing a deposit due to cancellation policy, but canceling because of gas prices or cost of goods and services, we're letting them rebook. And yeah, like she says here, it's just something that makes them feel like you care about what's going on. And it's still, you're not being damaged too bad because they're able to rebook, but they have a feeling that you actually care about what's going on in their lives. I think this is a broader topic that I'd love to dive in. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know what, Jenna, we should have you on the show to talk about this because I like your policy and I've been an advocate of similar policies before. So if you're willing to come on the show, Jenna, let's put that on, send an email to, send an email to me, Brian at Insider Perks, and we'll see if we can get you on the show if you're interested. But I think that could be a whole larger conversation that we talk about because that was an issue with COVID too. And a lot of people had deposits that they had to give back in a ton of volume. And so I think that there's a side where I'm an advocate for flexible policies like that, especially when you can rebook and not lose that revenue and maybe save that guest from a complete cancellation. But I think there's an argument to be had to the other side too, where how much of that can be done and should it be just, should it be gas prices? Should it be natural disasters? Should it be wildfires? Should it be hurricanes? Where's the stopping point? Uh, And I'm not saying I know that, but I think that's definitely a a really interesting conversation that we could have. Anything else, Susan, Kurt, uh, that you guys would like to share? We've got a couple minutes to wrap up here. 
I find it all very fascinating. <laughs> there again, I, you know, I, I love our cancellation policy too. And it, I think it helps with the inventory out there and, and the people that are willing to book at the last minute. They're constantly looking. I, I hear it all the time out there, the rumblings of the consumers who say they, they really want to go camping, but they get booked six months out. I remember as a child, you go to a campground, you drive around, find a site you liked, you, you parked your kids there and you went up and registered it. Now you have to book months and months in advance just to get a site. So it's interesting what's going on. Yeah, I think, and I think that's part of the value in having people from the RV industry on here and the outdoor recreation industry and bringing us all together is because those guys communicating with each other can, I don't know if you can solve site, in, site inventory, but you can certainly inform everybody else about what the other side is thinking and doing. And maybe there's ways that you guys can work together to facilitate that. So it's just one of the things that hopefully we can work on together with all the great guests we continue to have on these shows. Kurt, anything you want to add, wrap up with your guide? It's your coming guide. out when? Oh, I'm talking. Put a date on it. Pretty Put a date about. on it. When's it going to come out? Well, let's I want to go Memorial Day weekend. So Memorial Day weekend, everybody go to Kurt's site, National Park Traveler, and just hit refresh until you see it. It's going to be there. Um, hopefully before then. Hopefully before then. So hit, right. you might as well start now. Just hit yeah. refresh. Yeah. All right. Thank you guys. I really appreciate you joining us for another show. I know we were a little bit light on guests. Joe, certainly appreciate your time taking away from the deck, but really appreciate you being willing to guest host for me. I know I ended up showing up and it ended up working out, but really appreciate your voice on the show. Kurt, as always, I really appreciate you appearing with us once a month here to talk about outdoor rec and national parks and all the things that are it's super important and critical uh, to that crossover. And then Susan, uh, absolutely love having you here. Just talking about the RV Women's Alliance. It's definitely a subject that I really appreciate the opportunity to deep dive into. And please reach out to me. I know you I think you've been dealing with Akari, but reach out to me or Akari, one of the editors of Modern Campground, and we can see if there's a way that we can get you guys into Modern Campground, because I would really like to, just we're doing this show, deep dive into each individual woman's story. That would be amazing. Cause there are, yeah, because there are people, we have the ability to do it. There are people uh, like Jenna, for example, who probably have this amazing story to tell, who if other women read it, would identify with it and maybe continue, maybe encourage them to take their Absolutely. own steps forward as well, so. Right. I appreciate your time, gentlemen. I loved it. Yeah, you too. Oh, okay. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of MC Fireside Chats. Uh, next week is going to be really interesting because I'm not going to be on the show. And I think Kara is also not going to be on the show, but we've got our open discussion forum as well. I uh, should have had you host that one, Joe. But we've got our open discussion with uh, Randy and Scott and uh, Mark Kep and all those kinds of people. And so one of them, Casey Cochran from Camp Spot, one of them will certainly lead the charge and we'll have a great discussion for you next week. But super excited for that. We're available as a podcast. You can see us on uh, MC Fireside Chats and all those kinds of places. So thank you again all for joining us. And we will see you next week. All right. Have a great. Here, guys. Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com.